All right. Well, let me invite you to turn to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Uh, this evening, we will look at this uh, short psalm together. It is uh, an unusual psalm, uh, 11 verses, uh, but uh, it begins to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Uh, we do not know precisely who wrote this psalm. Uh, there's an interesting literary feature to this and the other psalms that follow it in book two of the psalms. Uh, the literary feature is there's a shift from the use of the, the term God to the, uh, the title God to the title Lord that we translate Lord in English. And the uh, instances of Lord vastly outnumber uh, the instances of God, whereas the reverse was uh, true in the 41 chapters that came before. We are finite. Uh, we don't know why that particular phenomenon occurs. And we don't know exactly who the author of this psalm is. It says, of the sons of Korah. Uh, it's a mascal of the sons of Korah. We don't know what mascal means. It's some sort of uh, musical term or literary term, rhythm term, we guess. Uh, the sons of Korah were Levites who particularly worked in the temple. Uh, and so uh, perhaps this uh, psalm reflects uh, the contrast between being out of the temple some of the time and wanting to go back and work in the temple. Uh, but the details of that are not clear to us. And it's also very possible that the sons of Korah were not writing uh, in the abstract themselves, uh, but rather they took materials inspired by God from King David and uh, that had been entrusted to them and to their family uh, to work up into a particular uh, musical uh, rendition for uh, performance uh, uh, and uh, in the uh, tabernacle or temple of God. Uh, whatever the case is, uh, we do not know, but we trust the Lord through it. Uh, in the uh, lack of clarity about certain uh, basic aspects of this psalm, we learn again, Deuteronomy uh, 25 or 29, 29, which says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. In the dark, on certain features, we trust what the Lord here says. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we ask for your blessing. Uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit, who inspired this psalm and used it uh, in David or the sons of Korah, uh, used it in the life of Israel of old and intends it for good use in our own life. We pray, O oh God, for your glory to shine. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. 
Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Amen. Well, as I said before, this psalm is written by an author that is uh, a wee bit indeterminate. Yes, it was in the hands of the sons of Korah, a mascal, whatever that means. But it may well, by internal context, have come from David originally. Because it appears that someone wants to be in the worship center of God, before the presence of God in worship, but yet for some reason they're driven away from where the people of God gather for corporate worship before him. Perhaps David was fleeing from Saul. Perhaps he was pining to be back in Jerusalem and back in the tabernacle and back before that appointed place where sacrifices were given and the goodness and mercy and covenant love of God was most clearly seen. Whatever the case, the psalmist here tells us an important truth for our Christian lives, and it's this. Though feeling far away, it is Jesus who brings the believer home to God. Jesus brings us home to God. Oh, I think the fact that the psalmist feels far from God is very easy to see. Uh, Verse 1 tells us that he's longing for the presence of God. My soul thirsts for thee. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God, we read. And so here, the psalmist is not despairing of the omnipresence of God. He doesn't believe that God is like the God of the Canaanites, just confined to some little place or circle. He knows God is everywhere. And even if he is afar off from Jerusalem, God is not confined to that tent. He fills all the earth and cosmos and beyond. He's not despairing of God's omnipresence because God's everywhere. Instead, he's longing for God's active evangelical presence in his life. He wants to know the fellowship of God's people. He wants to know the blessing and benefit that comes from enjoying and being a part of that corporate worship and in that place where there are so many reminders of covenant love. But even the evangelical presence of God was not totally withdrawn from David. Yes, God was everywhere and that God is the God of covenant love and so He is with His people. Even in their disobedience, even in their silliness and stumbling, He still has set His love upon them from of old. But when afar off, when separated from the family of God and the public worship of God, 
by comparison to being in the Lord's presence in that place where he's appointed, the psalmist rightly feels far from the Lord. And he feels far from Zion. Verses 5 to 8 make that clear. Why are you cast down on my soul? This is repeated elsewhere in the text. Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Then he goes on to say, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Here there's a set of references about wanting to go be with God and be with his people in Jerusalem. But it is a sound shouted not in Zion, but from the far north, from above the Sea of Galilee, from near the Syrian border. The writer is pining for the presence of the Lord. And we have to remember what Jerusalem was and is. It was not the center of the universe. It was not a piece of real estate as an end of itself. Yes, it was the capital of Jerusalem, but it was a physical symbol that pointed to something else, to heaven, to being with the Lord to the new heavens and new earth that will come down and that we will enjoy forever with him and in his presence. This experience of the psalmist is something that we all know because there's not one person here tonight who has not had times in which they have felt cut off from the Lord. There's not one person here who doesn't need to remember how it felt like when their prayers just seemed to bounce off of the ceiling Don't you remember feeling all alone in a time of spiritual discouragement? Feeling abandoned and isolated in your life? Don't you remember the keenness even of guilt that came as Satan whispered in your ear, this is all your fault? This is all because of this or that or the other? Oh, the burdens that are piled upon us as we feel the depth of our need for God. You remember, don't you? on those occasions in your own life. And the good news of the gospel here is is that God remembers too. That God is the sovereign Lord and He does not forget the times of going through the valley of the shadow that His children experience. Uh, Those times of spiritual exile, as it were, and isolation, the Lord is there for us and the Lord is concerned to bless His people even in those times. You see, in the midst of our spiritual want and need, exemplified here by the author of the epistle, or the author of of Psalm 42, we find that this hymn, that this song, that this psalm was penned on an occasion of spiritual isolation and need, which means that God poured out His Holy Spirit. And there was hope for Him, and there is hope for you and me. God knows what you have been through. And God knows that you need the reassurance of His grace and His presence and His covenant mercy and love in your life. You see, God's covenant love means that what you experience, even in the most difficult of times, is never just or even mostly about you. When you go through hard features in your life, whether it be a short period and a short shock like the death of a loved one, 
or perhaps a longer period of suffering where you find yourself facing a a physical infirmity that you and your family will bear for many years to come. You can remember that God's covenant love for you means that it's never just always about you. It's always about a much bigger agenda, about a much bigger purpose. God is busy, is he not, working all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. He works for his glory and even for our good. That's true even in the hard things. It's true even in the bad things in our lives where we do stumble and fall. God, having his love set upon us from of old, loves us in spite of our sin and uses our brokenness for our good and for his glory in a way that only he can do. Oh, all of your discouragement becomes here in this psalm as you sing it and as it lifts your heart and your mind and your life, joy and encouragement, light and life, because you're again reminded that you're not alone. And the psalmist feels far from God's house as well. In verses 2 to 4, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God, he sings. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? David finds himself, or, or the author is imagining the occasion on which David found himself being mocked. And the language here is technical. To appear before God is, is not a vague generality that we're supposed to emote about. It's a precise formula. It's used to describe the believer standing before the Lord in the holy tabernacle or temple of God. And the tabernacle and temple were symbols of God's presence with His people and pointed to the One who came who is God Emmanuel with us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Did He not say, tear this down and I will raise it in three days? as he entered his temple to drive out the money changers, to teach and preach, to confront the Pharisees and Sadducees and to call them to repentance because the kingdom of God was at hand. They they were faced with the one of whom John could rightly say, and he became flesh and tabernacled among us. Oh, the sacrifices and the showbread, the lampstands and the incense that went up, all of these were part of a a great drama, a great spiritual play enacted to teach them and us about Christ and His benefits. Lights, camera, action. In effect, the temple and tabernacle say, The focal point of the religious life of Israel was here to teach them that that focal point was in Christ who was coming. And no wonder the psalmist feels the loss of this, the presence and joy and blessing of God. And that never came just through the sacrificial system. And it never came just through waving the incense around. Those are Old Testament shadows meant to point us to the reality to which our heart could cling. Rights do not save us. 
even high and mysterious and ancient rites do not save us. We are only saved by Jesus Christ our Lord. The slaying of a bull will do you no good in and of itself. We are not saved by the blood of sheep and goats. We are saved by the one to whom that blood points. And only if the right was done at that time with a heart filled with faith, looking and longing for the promise of God to be fulfilled in His covenant, was there any ground of salvation in what was being seen and enjoyed? Oh, the trappings don't save us and make us better believers. It's trendy today to think that it's the candles and it's the crosses and the smells and the bells. Those are the things that are really suitable for television and short video clips. And therefore, that's relevant religion for us, you know. We need to reconstruct everything that we do and and make it more user-friendly and and be able to get over the language barrier more easily, easily by symbol and sign. But God set all these things as nursery room decorations to teach the church about the reality of what was to come, even Christ our Lord. We must keep our eyes upon Jesus. We must look full into His wonderful face. Rather than being distracted by the shadow, we must see the substance of the light of His glory and grace. The psalmist feels far from God and far from His presence and far from those physical blessings and reminders of Zion and far from the blessing of God itself as well. Hope in God, he tells himself. And so he focuses like a laser beam upon the fount of every blessing, Jesus Christ our Lord. Only in him do we have help and hope and comfort in this life. And so here the psalmist teaches us that Jesus is God's presence with us. And that we are never, never ever alone if we are bound to Him by faith and by the Spirit. We walk with and in Him. He will never leave us, we are told. He is Emmanuel. And He is God's Zion. Oh, we draw near to God in Him. We will be with Him, not in some piece of real estate per se. We will be with Him in the new heavens and new earth to come, which will cover all the globe. And it will be a three-dimensional glory of God that we see and feel. Heaven. The new heavens and new earth filled with the light of His countenance, the light of Jesus that we will enjoy. And He is the temple. He is the one who has given himself as a sacrifice. And so you will see him and you will be reassured. He will be a continual reminder and reassurance. Seeing him. Being able to touch and feel and know that the glorified body of that one before you is not just a man. But that he is God. Who has taken on flesh, sacrificed it, and been glorified for His obedience. And He will be your blessing forevermore. You're told of it in the Old Testament. He's that rock which followed Moses and 
gave the streams of waters of life to the people of God. He is our mighty fortress and tower, as we'll hear in a few weeks. And he defends us from all of his and our enemies. He's our hope. And so in the wee hours of the night, when you are in despair of yourself and of God, remember this. Talk to your soul. Sing to your soul. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Hope in Christ, who is God in the flesh. Let us pray.